If you have a Bible, go and grab it and open it to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. John 2, 1 through 12. And it says this. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, They don't have any wine. What is this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now six stone water jars have been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, Everyone sets out the fine wine first, then, after people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, together with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they stayed there only a few days. Lord, I love everyone in this room, and we know that you love us. So we ask God that you would pour out the riches of your grace on us tonight. As we meditate on your word, help us to taste and see your goodness in this passage. We need your help to do it. And we trust that your spirit will help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't really drink. Now, it's not because I don't think drinking's a sin, even though I think drunkenness is a terrible sin. There's really three reasons why I don't drink alcohol that often. The first is because I'm cheap. And spending money on alcohol is really expensive. I just don't see myself doing that anytime soon. The second reason is because I'm not really used to the taste of alcohol. I was a good Christian boy. I didn't drink until I turned 21. That taste was really weird. Uh, and quite honestly, I prefer rum and Coke without the rum. And the third is because I don't need any assistance in lacking self-control in my life. Jesus, on the other hand, seems to care enough about alcohol to produce vats of it for this wedding celebration. But if we look a little closer, I think what we're going to see is that Jesus isn't just trying to point out that he prefers rosé over welches. 
but he's actually trying to point something deeper about what he came on the earth to do. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going we're to meditate on this passage. And here's the main idea of the passage. Believe in the Son. Believe in the Son. I don't think you need a seminary degree to figure that out. In verse 11, the disciples see Jesus' glory and they believed in him. That's the main command for us tonight. But first, let's go over the story. Let's read from verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, They don't have any wine. What has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. A wedding takes place in Cana, and they run out of wine. So Jesus' mother Mary comes and tells Jesus that they don't have any wine. And Jesus' response is, that ain't my problem. The hour had not yet come. Jesus hadn't yet begun his redemptive work. And so he's making clear to Mary that whatever issue is going on in this wedding isn't his responsibility. And yet, in the following verses, Jesus is still willing to help Mary with her problem. Let's read from verse 5. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now six stone water jars have been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from. The servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets the fine wine first, then after people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum together with his, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they stayed there only a few days. Mary looks at the servants and tells them to do whatever Jesus commands them. So Jesus has them grab six stone water jars that are used for, for purification, and they are to fill it to the brim with water. And then he tells them to skim some and take it to the head waiter. And the waiter responds that normally everybody brings out the cheaper stuff after everybody's intoxicated, but you saved the best for last. And then the disciples believe in him. And then John identifies this miracle as the first of Jesus's miracles. In fact, John hand selects seven miracles to highlight in this book. There's lots of other things that John could have chosen to include in this book, and yet he begins with this miracle about Jesus turning water into wine. If you think about it, John seems to think that this is a huge deal. You look at verse 11, that Jesus revealed his glory in water turning into wine. You see, the, the reason why John starts with this miracle isn't because Jesus performed some neat parlor trick to continue to keep the juices flowing for this wedding celebration. Jesus is trying to communicate something deeper. 
something deeper. Look, look again at the six stone jars in verse 6. Okay. What are they used for? Purification. The water inside was to be used for ceremonial washing, to cleanse oneself or, or to cleanse the cutlery or the food, right? purifying oneself before God. And what does this cleansing, purifying water turn into? Wine. It turns into wine. And when's the other time in the Gospels that you see Jesus use wine as a symbol? The Last Supper. Matthew 26, 28. Jesus says this, This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sin. In other words, the way that man is going to be purified is not through the washing of water, but with blood. This is the gospel that we all believe, isn't it? If you're not a Christian, this is the main message of Christianity for you, that we are all filthy, defiled, and worthy of death and eternal punishment in hell because of our rebellion against a holy, clean, sacred God. But God in his kindness sent his son, Jesus Christ, truly God and truly man. He lived the perfect life that we never could. And on the cross, he bled and poured out his own blood, endured the punishment that you and I deserved for our rebellion and sin. And Jesus died. But on the third day, he rose from the dead, victorious over sin and death. So if you turn from your sin and you trust in him, that blood can cover and wash you. In fact, if you understand this idea of this water, this cleansing water, that's one, it makes sense of everything else. Look at Jesus' response to his mom in verse 4. He asks his mom what her concern has to do with him and that his hour had not yet come. Can you understand the reason why Jesus responds to his mom the way that he does? Jesus, Mary goes to Jesus and asks him for wine. And Jesus' response is, it's not time for me to give you my blood. You see, it's not that Jesus is ignorant of what Mary thinks that she needs. But rather than responding to Mary's immediate need, Jesus responds to her real need. She doesn't need wine. What Mary needs is grace. And Jesus' response to Mary showed that he wasn't just going to answer her immediate need in providing this miracle and, and providing wine for this party, but ultimately her real need. See, when, when you feel sapped of grace and mercy, you can go to Jesus. And his answer will always be yes. This is what Spurgeon says about this verse. He says, it is a blessed need that makes room for Jesus to come in with miracles of love. It is good to run short that we may be driven to the Lord by our necessity, for he will more than supply it. If we have no need, Christ will not come to us. If we are in dire necessity, his hands stretch out to us. If our needs stand before us like huge empty water pots, and if our souls are full of grief as those same pots were filled with water up to the brim, Jesus can, by his sweet will, turn all the water into wine. 
the sighing into singing. And we should be glad to be weak so that the power of God may rest on us. Look at the head waiter's response in verse 10. Normally the finest wine comes first, and then the cheaper wine comes later. But in this case, the fine wine is saved for last. The head waiter delights in the best wine that had arrived. And who came before Jesus? John the Baptist. Who else came before Jesus? Okay, you hear a bunch of different answers, right? Basically, everybody in the Old Testament. It doesn't matter if it's Adam or Abraham or Moses, the judges, David. It doesn't matter who it is. All of those things might as well be wine shipped in a cardboard box. Cheap wine. But now, this could be the start of something new. The finest wine is here. And that's cause for delight and celebration for the waiter. And how much more for us if we can celebrate the good, balanced, fruity, full-bodied, sweet grace of Christ. In fact, the beginning of the passage talks about how this all happens on the third day. Now, that's not necessarily referring to the resurrection on the third day. You don't see John kind of make a big deal of that, that occurrence. But John does make a point to go out of his way to track the days corresponding with the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So if you, if you go back a couple chapters and you read from the beginning of the book, John points out kind of day by day. He'll go like, this happened, then the next day this happened, then the next day this happened, so on and so forth. So the first day, a group comes and interrogates John the Baptist. Then the next day... John the Baptist announces that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then the next day, the third day, two disciples go to Jesus' house. Then on the fourth day, Jesus has an interaction with Nathanael. Then, three days later, the wedding happens. How many days is that? Seven days. And what happens on the seventh day? The Sabbath. The Sabbath happens on the seventh day. The seventh day is a day when God rests. And here, Jesus provides real rest. Real rest. Brothers and sisters, this week is going to have no shortage of sorrows, stress, difficulties, disappointments, and trials. But when we look to Jesus... We're going to see the fulfillment of our deepest need. It might not provide immediate relief for your immediate needs, but what Jesus provides is the answer to your real need. He provides you a real glory, a glory that saturates our monochromatic circumstances with hope. And because Jesus has revealed his glory to us on the cross, we can believe and trust in him. It's no wonder that God drained that wedding of wine. He intended to show a sign of his extravagant grace to parched sinners like us. And all of this story from the need to the fulfillment is a sign of what Christ has done and will do for you. Purification, redemption, and delight.
all signified in a drink. We'll take a cup of kindness yet. All glory be to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to taste and see your goodness. We thank you for the abundant, sweet, kind blessing of your son's work on the cross for us. We do pray, God, that you would help us to carry that grace with us into our jobs, into our families, into our neighborhood, into this city. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.